Chris isn't here. He's cracking one open with the boys, so. Yeah, we have to address the fact that Chris isn't here. It's not a thing. He just had something else to do. And like, if there's ever a week he was going to take off, this is going to be it. He's talked a lot in the uh, listener Discord, mm -hmm. a link in the description. So you can just ask him questions if you want to. He's I'm sure you can just like tweet him if you want to know shit. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he's responsive pretty quickly on stuff and has answered a number of important questions about like Katarina, Reese, why the ending, all those other questions, you know? Yeah, and also I'm sure I'll just throw it in there because I know a lot of the answers to these. I've yeah. looked through the questions, but let's just get in. Let's just get nasty. All right. All right. First question, big honor. Uh, Kaji Firesun at Phoenix Roost on Twitter asks, you explicitly mentioned Shadowrun several times. Was the structure of Crown modeled after or, modeled after or inspired by the corporate court at all? Yes, <laughs> not only was uh, Shadowrun an inspiration, it's just a Shadowrun campaign. We just played Shadowrun with D&D rules. If you're not familiar, mm -hmm. Shadowrun is one of the most popular tabletop games besides like D&D &D and maybe Pathfinder and a couple other ones, but it's up there. There's like eight video game adaptations, one of which former ca cast member Johnny Maloney is in. He is a character in the video video game Shadowrun Returns. Mm -hmm. um, he, lo he locks you in a, in a scary place. It's bad. He's a bad person and you can't kill him it sucks anyway the <laughs> the premise of Shadowrun, if you're not familiar is corporations have taken over the world there are 10 powerful ones they have their own military they're led by super powerful reptilians and the player characters are a group of thieves who do heists you basically just didn't want to have to teach us a new set of rules because we we already don't really know what we're doing with D and D. Is that right? <laughs> that's very fair. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the whole story. I looked into it. I was like, I would love to play Shadowrun. This will kill the show if I have to teach you all these new rules. And not just you, me too. I have other things in my life. But uh, and 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 to be fair, depending on which version of Shadowrun you're going with, it could get really like aggressively, not really obtuse, but. It's it's a bit more crunchy than D and D. Even third edition D and D, it was crunchier than that. And mm -hmm. compared to fifth edition, it's absolutely too much crunch for I think a lot of the players to keep up with reasonably. So yeah, fifth edition is like made for babies, but even the hard versions of D and D are easier than Shadowrun, which is a world I enjoy. Um, mm -hmm. Although there are some problematic elements of it. One is that like transhumanism is like takes away from like your humanity or something. That's in yeah. also the cyberpunk game where it's 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 a problematic look at what it means to be human that I did. I don't mm -hmm. quite enjoy. But yeah, I, I actually personally know of a game that a, a friend of mine made, um, which embraces transhumanism and does not treat it as like, oh, you're less human as a result of it. But mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it's an unfortunate trend of a lot of the iconic cyberpunk games. I'm not a big fan of game mechanics where it's like, hey, disabled people who get prosthetic arms, they're less human now. Like, that's not a cool mechanic. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's partly the 80s and just that their their brains are bad, but also they're trying to balance, like, because why wouldn't you just make every single part of you a missile if you could? And yeah. They have to take something away. <laughs> See, you know what's funny? It's like, this is a little bit off topic, but this reminds me of something I read, no joke. Um, that explained why, like, non-human races had class level caps in early editions of D&D. Because the contention was, well, these other races are better than humans. So we got to cripple them in some way or else everyone would just play things that aren't human. It's like the 70s were a weird time as well when it came to design mechanics and stuff like that. So being nice wasn't invented until like the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that's right. Niceness was not a mechanic at that time. Uh, um, yeah, we should get to the next question, though. But yes, a, a lot of the un- this season comes into focus when you understand that it's cyberpunk and specifically Shadowrun, which I thought was more widely understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out not everyone has seen Blade Runner. I thought that was a pretty universal experience. Although uh, I had a very uh, similar reaction when I realized um, not everyone knew what uh, Afrofuturism was when Black Panther came out. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, boy. I was like, you shouldn't be allowed to have a high school degree if you have read octavia butler what's happening and then i just realized oh just no all of our, our education system is in shambles um please read blood child it's very important um but yeah so maybe i'm just um, so 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 read that but don't read the fountainhead is what you're saying right? oh god are we gonna get there um, <laughs> no, we'll, no, we'll get this. there. No, we will. We will. I'm just gonna read these in the order they're on Twitter. I don't know what their algorithm uh, wants from us. It, but... It's pretty. It's pretty trash. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So we got one from Cosmignon. Uh, everyone loves Cosmignon and her amazing art. It's a staple for all of us on the show. Mm-hmm. Question is: Can there be two or more people who are the con- conduits of the same concept? That's a good question. Um. Yeah. So in the mm-hmm. you know platonic world of forms, there is. Uh, dog and there are many dogs <laughs> right so it's like that so yeah just like you know fire is a concept and then there are many fires in the world that exist at once and it's just the same it's just yeah. also like there's, yeah. there's different ways to interpret any given word like i'm sure you could have say for, for like two conduits of protection but two different ways that protection could manifest because by the time they get to people and people are conduits they're no longer as perfect as they were in the world of forms anyway so yeah I also I also like to think there's almost precedent in D and D anyway for this because if you look at how clerics work, um, their powers come from different domain. Uh, their gods, but the gods are representative of different domains, and so I like to think that multiple people who are conduits of the same thing are effectively like part of the same domain, and each with their own slightly different take on what that domain means. That's sort of my take on it, though. Not only is it comparable, it's literally exactly the same. Mm. Part of the reason I picked. Platonism is because it's a very simple and b a thing people believed at the same times they believed in the gods. Mm. Like mm-hmm. the, these these ideas not only don't conflict, they are all existed at the same time and explained each other. So yep. there's there was eight war gods. Like the Greeks had a war god, the the Romans mm-hmm. had a war god, the Gauls had a war god. In the same way, there's you know right fifty people who are probably the conduit of war, and not, these don't conflict. It's just the way the world works because people have different ideas of what war is. Mm. Right. It, it's almost like, and I mentioned this to, in the Discord, like, this is why I think it's almost more appropriate to say that someone is a conduit of a thing as opposed to the conduit of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, yeah. that's me getting super, super pedantic. Yeah. Language is a thing. Um, another question from Cosmignon. Um, any particular reason why this season's uh, credits music seem to change so frequently? Um, I, as the person who makes those decisions, was trying to match the tone the players were giving me, and it changed a lot. So at the beginning, mm-hmm. it was kind of funky and playful. Like here we are, we're in the you know you know cruising down the neon streets, aren't our cool guys doing cool stuff? And then it's <laughs> like, here's the players. Hi, I'm an addict. Hi, I ruined my family. Hi, I'm traumatized from childhood trauma. And it's like this is way too dark for my music. So I changed it. Um, A lot of me this season was trying to fit what the players were doing. So, I mean, if you follow my work, I'm a comedian first and foremost. I'm the, I'm your boy, Winnie. I'm the wolf, the troll guy. Like I'm trying to be funny. And then people are like, listen, uh, my 
I was abandoned by my family. The person who adopted me beat me. Uh, I don't. I don't have healthy relationships, and I'm like, well, I gotta do something with this. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy show. We 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 like our goofs, but we also like we got shit to work out with you. Yeah, well, we definitely are going to talk about this episode. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about during this episode how this season uh, was, I think, very difficult for everyone's mental health. Maybe we can talk about it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. everyone played some pretty close to home stuff and it was difficult we had i don't know half a dozen episodes where we had to stop recording because people broke down in tears yeah and do you guys want to just jump in i i I would just say for me like i think the thing that like maybe made that happen was like when when we started talking about season four like the the sort of thing we were given was your character needs a reason that they need money and like there's not really like good reasons to be like i need money i am in desperate need of money enough that i would go steal stuff is like that it's not really going to be a good reason you end up going there but yeah uh for me i've talked about this a bit in the dice funk uh discord i didn't intentionally do this but i very quickly in the season realized i was like ah i have shitty dad issues and i'm playing that out with a with a good dad character who just wants to be a good dad. That was a thing. That was a weird thing to realize partly into this season. <laughs> In some ways, it was easier during this season than last season. <laughs> uh, Dora was very hard to play. But I also, like, TMI or whatever, was, like, coming into this season off of, like, a literal, like, mental breakdown in my real life. Mm. So, like, I was definitely super withdrawn, I feel like. For a lot of the first half of the season, because I was just fucking depressed and shit. Yeah, in my case, this season was um, easier mentally because of the fact that Roland was really, really tough for me to play because yeah. of the religious mm. stuff on it. And otherwise, um, it was tough because it took me a while to feel confident about Ed and eventually Ed and Martis as an entity and yeah. playing it out and holding that secret in because the only person who knew about Martis up until the reveal was Austin and me and no one else in the party knew about that. So mm. that was all just like that was I was so nervous about that playing off. Well, that put a lot of sort of stress on me more so than anything else. I, I think a thing for me that like little peek behind the curtain during the time we were recording this season i wrote my memoir which is like coming out next year and that was a weird thing where like i was doing a lot of digging into feeling stuff and then recording the show and like you try and keep things separate but that doesn't always happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so and i can speak for chris because we've talked about this uh you know off camera and he's also talked about it in the discord but he had to stop playing reese because it was triggering his depression and he was not having fun anymore because it was so uh powerful for him but like I, i think that's like part of why i kind of love some of the characters this season is like they were hard to play but we played some really like some characters that felt very real at times yeah so not ev- not every season's gonna be like yeah. <laughs> uh, we try to do something new every season try to contrast and explore different genres different tones different feels so I- i'm glad we did this but i'm also glad it's not going to always be like this i'm mm-hmm. glad that next season i am playing like a pretty silly goofball idea i'm ready for that like my last two seasons, I've been playing serious shit. I'm like, no, I gotta be silly. Yeah, we'll have darker seasons and we'll have lighter seasons. It's just the way it happens sometimes. Um, uh, 
another question here from Aline, also an incredible illustrator. Oh, this is a softball. I love it. Thank you, Aline. Favorite heist slash arc and favorite NPC. Honestly, the wrestling arc was just a lot of fun because it was interesting having the a lot of stakes being established and a lot mm -hmm. of fun little twists kind of come about in there for me. I really, really liked the man heist <laughs> where we were supposed to be heisting Luna, but instead I murdered him and also a god. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I, love, I love killing those gods. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know you do. I'm, I'm really... I didn't... Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just, I didn't come into Dice Funk expecting to kill all the gods, but it's like I started. I wanted so to I kill finish. one. I was I was hyped for my almost chance to kill one. <laughs> I'm I, so sorry. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm easy to kill with flattery. I really liked as my favorite heist was the card game heist because Austin was just like mm -hmm. throwing all the shit at me around like, yeah, I know all this stuff. I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, for me, I think the one that took the most interesting turn was the military heist. Yeah. Because I I envisioned it as kind of Lenora's signature heist. So, like, the oh. card game was obviously Frank, and the wrestling arc was obviously uh, Katarina, and the uh, casino was obviously Ed. But this was, like, a party, and Lenora's the DJ. And it and just... I fucked it up. It got so wildly out of hand. We had, like, three <laughs> different things happening at once, and people were fucking exploding, and they were tripping off drugs. And I just... Yep. I, I opened my mouth to voice Aaron, and just this thing came out of me, and it sucked yeah. so bad that I fell in love with it. Um, it was amazing. <laughs> so, it, it's... it's yeah. It also reminds me of one of the things that happens, I think, that some people have issues with, and I might even complain about during or immediately after the recording are little bits of rules fudging that happens, but honestly, they're things that kind of make the narrative stakes more interesting. Uh, like, for example, taking Crowd and Madness and make it apply to ranged attacks and not just melee. I mean, as written, no, but in the context, yes, right? And in conclusion, we should play Shadowrun. Have you guys heard about Exploding Dice? <sighs> oh, yes. Oh, I, I am very familiar with Exploding Dice. Um mm. Uh, they're, they're so fun, except when you actually have to deal with rolling them without using a framework that streamlines it for you. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, NPC, though, bird, for sure. Of course. <laughs> he's a bear. Me and Lauren literally just watched a documentary about Wojtek, the bear that he's based on, and I almost teared up. He's such Same. a good bear. I, I, I have two NPC thoughts. Uh, Bo, I really liked. Bo uh, is very good. I was very into Bo, and I was really pleased, Austin, with how you handled Bo through the whole season. I thought that was fantastic. Um, also, I was, like, very back and forth on Algernon in that, like, loved, <laughs> loved him on first introduction. Oh, yeah. Recoiled a bit when I suddenly realised, oh, age is not what I thought. Uh, uh, different image to in head. And then he very much grew on me again. I'm like, ah, oh, I love my child that hates me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's me with my hedgehog. Uh, for, for me, it was simply, it, it's always got to be a character from my backstory that you take and twist in your own way. Uh... So Ash just became way creepier than I ever thought. I, I forgot. Like, Ash was a while ago. Ash was great. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as I've noted in the Discord, um, Kat both Katarina and Ash's antics were completely the reason why Mardis was as interested in basically fixing Valentine the way that he was. So 
Yeah, uh, in the the user poll on the forums, link in the description, uh, Ash and Algernon tied for first, and they're both so different. Mm -hmm. Um, Ash is like this creepy stalker bot who is supposed to be a threat, and I'm surprised he came across as well as he did because you guys didn't even see the big fight I had planned for him, which was he throws Richard off of the skyscraper and then you boss battle in his office, and it just straight up didn't happen, and he's still the most popular NPC, even when the thing I planned to to show him off didn't happen. It's wild. (laughs) I mean, that, that that was mostly by proxy of just me using Phantasmal Force and it just sort of working. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was an incredible moment, but it's just funny how before the thing I was like, oh, so this is going to be this big showdown. And it's just like, no, you thought of something better. And but it still came off and nobody like, you know, mm. part of me wonders, though, what it was there an opportunity for Ash to be sort of like turned, you know, into a an ally of sorts. And I think that possibility existed. It was just like, we didn't explore that route. (laughs) Yeah. We got a lot of questions from people who said, was it possible for X? And the answer is almost always yes. That's always possible. The the way I do my campaign is I want to tell the story you're most interested in. So just point me in the direction. Let's, let's explore it. So almost always. Yes. Um, I was, I I just want to say for Algernon, I was, the thing I loved is that he got to be so many things as a villain, in that he got to be (laughs) the goofy, silly, not really a threat villain, he got to be a, like, legitimate antagonist, he got to be a character that, like, you know, had motivations that were understandable and interesting, and then also he got to be a kind of party sympathizer, I was like, he got to be a lot of things, he was cool. Yeah, he's our shitty little buddy. He's my shitty little friend. (laughs) I actually voted for St. Luna, but that's just because I'm an idiot, and I'm just <laughs> thinking of this, like, big, fat, uh, cute little horny toad bluffman with tubes, and so, like, I just, <laughs> I just think he's cute because he's just a big, fat lizard. You got tubes. <laughs> yeah, I loved Luna. The thing about him is I'm glad the way he worked out, which he was, he was this shitty patriarchal emblem of religious uh, like almost conservatism and greed and all things that are very wrong in the world but are also morally simple and so I'm mm-hmm. glad that he was only on the screen long enough to get owned like a bitch uh-huh. <laughs> because he's not that complex there's not that much to explore but you still want to dunk on it so I'm glad we got it yeah um, there's another version of this campaign where he gets a lot more screen time and maybe he gets some you know development or something and he maybe he's the final boss or something but I like it because it was like shitty people like Solomon and Richard exist in the world, but fuck them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who cares? Fuck them. Be, be incredibly sassy as Martis in the back end of this campaign was just very fun. So as far as NPCs go, I think while Aaron was the most fun to play because he had so much going on, I think one of the ones I was uh, really interested in how they developed was Inspector William Graves Mm. Uh. because he started off as just kind of the boss of the first arc. And I thought maybe he would die or, you know, something like that. But he kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And people kept adding layers to him and getting attached to him and using him as a pawn. And it's just like he I developed his home life and he had all of these opinions, which most of them I like agreed with. Like he thought like, oh, the world is unfair and there's all this shit in the world and I have to do this to make my family right. And it's like, oh, I understand it. But also you suck. And mm-hmm. he had to go out tragically, um, yep. partially because... Martis left the room and that yeah. that was what kept the prediction thing. So once once he was left alone, he was toast. But it was um it was a really interesting character to play, even though he did suck ass, but like in a in a way I, I liked. <laughs> Part of me wished that Graves was still alive because he would have been basically the replacement for um for Private Fortune in Ed's epilogue. 
Um, but that was the other reason why Ed went into the forest to try to re- mm. to try to reform it was because of Graves. Also, Diane LeVay Westerly only like had the word Ducky and Daddy, but like I have a space in my heart. <laughs> I mean, same. Yeah. Well, and like obviously, I love Rosen because it's like we love all the NPCs. We're all great. <laughs> yeah, they're all good. I if mean. anything, I toned Rosen way down. I mean, you. I feel like in some ways. Okay, as somebody who knows my best friend, <laughs> you toned him up as well. What? So what's that text? What's that text that you told me about that I like almost died laughing? <laughs> was it about the one about Zumbo? Yes. Oh, uh, I was talking to him and he was like, "Oh, Zumbo could get it," and I was like, "Really?" He's like, "He can put his little bald head right up my ass." <laughs> <laughs> Zumbo is a celebrity chef, by the way. This, the, for those who don't know um yeah rosen was fun to play and also very silly um it was interesting because i think this season could have been i give all the villains the political uh, opinions i hate and all the good guys the ones i like but i kind of tried to put most of the things i actually believe in the mouths of villains like i said mm-hmm. like graves recognized all the problems in the world um obviously uh memphis was like pro-union but also just not helping anybody and I tried to give like Aaron stuff that people actually do believe and the kind of people who like mm. succeed in life believe. Um, so we can talk about that more later. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the, the challenge for me is creating NPCs was making likable people who I disagree with and unlikable people I agree with was something I was trying to do a lot there. Mm-hmm. So um, Here's a here, Nicholas C C question at C questions on Twitter. Will any children born after the incident also get conduit powers? Yes, that's just a thing now. Um, <laughs> uh, what's your stance on shipping, specifically Ed Martis? <laughs> I, I know <laughs> Skitch says no, no, no shipping for you. Uh, no shipping under any circumstances for me, honestly, because um, I've said this in in no uncertain terms of the Discord. Uh, I do not play romantic characters and I do not play sexual characters. That is just something I do. Um, that's fair. That's, that's incidentally why alternate timeline Elias after season two actually has a spouse and a kid because he's not a player character anymore and he's able to do that. <laughs> but it's beside the point. You ship my characters. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I, your, your is, I mean, that's, you ship them yourself. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. like it's, if you don't want it's like your thing and people should respect I mean it. they could do it it's just I'm not going to approve of it that doesn't matter <laughs> not approved <laughs> my my case is like if I end a season with like a pairing like set up there I'm like probably like ship that pair like ship the pair that I left like season three uh Veltari and Carrie you know leave it there Frank left that open-ended ship him with which with whichever guy you like I, I set his sexuality but you can pair him with whoever from that base point. Yeah, I think this is probably the best time to mention for those who don't know, this season is originally conceived of as having Katarina and Lenora end up together. Mm. Yes. Yeah, we had talked about that. That was the plan. And we like kind of started flirting. And then it just like got weird and fell apart. Yeah, it would have been a very bad relationship if it had worked because they were very self- selfish people, especially at the beginning. But it, it didn't even last that long. No, no, I did a bird and said it was pretty good. And a snake, and we have a baby hedgehog who probably hates us. The, that's the problem with these characters. You, you're like, yeah, this is who this character's going to be. Then you start playing them. It's and like, it's not- oh, that's not who you are, character. Yeah, exactly. Um, here's a quick one. Ebrin at Bjorti Baklov on Twitter asks, what conduits are Frank's kids? Uh, 
the the silly answer I I someone asked me about this about Diane and I was like conduit of duck bats. Uh, <laughs> she's just conduit of duck bats. I don't know what powers that bestows. Uh, let let's go. Um, Forest is conduit of complicated dad feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. There is conduit of Freud. Yeah, there's the there's the <laughs> oh, two no. totally like useless conduit powers. Yeah, yeah. And statistically, most of them are going to be useless. So yeah. that's just how how math works. <laughs> um, we got a lot a lot of conduit informed questions. I'm going to try to stick to the um ones that uh, I can do pretty quickly because we've got 150 thousand questions. But uh, Celestial asks, would someone becoming the conduit of immortality allow them to overcome the effects of death's prior presence? Uh, presumably. Yeah, that could be interesting. Thanks. I'm going to write that down. Um, <laughs> Siege at Golgiatric on Twitter asks, will everyone becoming a conduit more or less translate into celebrities becoming a new pantheon of gods? Because obviously prayer uh, makes gods powerful. That's um, that's the whole thing with the traditional D&D pantheon and many religions mm. is pr- they need prayer or sacrifice for you know depending on the kind of god to give them power and if you do that with conduits could they eventually become new gods uh may- the, maybe that my my problem with that and i don't think it's going to happen on screen or like i don't think we're actually going to explore it in the show would just be that the people don't live long enough to accumulate godlike power mm. like maybe yes mm-hmm. celebrities would be more powerful because they would get more adulation so they would their conduits would manifest more strongly over their lifetime but for gods they they accumulated that over eons right mm. like right m- millennia and that's how they got so powerful and that's why like new gods would be weaker than old gods that's like a thing people yeah. <laughs> that's a term people throw around the old gods um uh, but have to come back and kill them all yeah so yeah also it's just dangerous for your health to become a god <laughs> yeah not recommended uh not recommended <laughs> Uh, Lauren Cates at Lauren Cates on Twitter asks, could the PCs have ended up jumping straight to the temple of St. Luna on episode one? Um, if you guys had gone into the tunnels and I would have said, oh, here's what you need to dig up. And you were like, we walk in the other direction. I guess I would have said why. And then you probably wouldn't have had an, an answer. And then we would have sat awkwardly. And then someone would have said, let's go back and dig. Um, I don't know how like logically you could have justified it. It would have felt out of character, but I, it's technically possible. Mm-hmm. It just... I don't know how what how, what sense it would have made, but yeah, it's, I, uh, yeah, it, it's I, I can think of other like campaigns. Like, could they just have walked to like the 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 ending like straight ahead? I'm like, theoretically, but what? Why would they go in that direction outside of just metagaming? This campaign <laughs> wasn't Breath of the Wild, where you get out of the starting area <laughs> and it's like, here's where the boss is. It's gonna kill you. You can go there if you want, but don't. <laughs> Yeah, because killing you is not a game over screen. It's like, all right, I guess next season. Oh, God, write a new character. Um, yeah, also, so season three had something very similar where you could have figured out the entire mystery if you just asked a character, <laughs> like, in the first episode. But it doesn't. It would have made no sense, and I would have said, like, why do you do that? But um, another question, Jade, uh, at Jade the Thief on Twitter, what were the naming conventions used this season? So long-time listeners know that for thematic cohesion and also just to narrow the name choices, I usually use a common denominator between NPC names. Also to be a nerd. <laughs> Got me. <laughs> uh, this season, it was um, people or things or ideas associated with 
uh, secret societies, esoteric orders, and mm. the like. So the uh, Rosicrucianists, obviously Rosen, uh, the right. the Ordo Templi Order, or, I fucked that name up, Thelema, the Order of the Temple of the Golden Dawn, stuff like that. Not, notably not the Illuminati because they suck and are lame, but yeah. things like the Illuminati. They have a website. Can I can I tell you a weird naming thing that like apparently like it seems like you didn't intentionally do, but I think is really cool. Uh, Frank Westerly uh, shares varying name similarities with Frank West from the dead. Uh, what is it, Dead Rising games? Apparently, Frank West's middle name is Algernon. I think someone brought that up, and I was like, "That's an incredible uh, um, coincidence." Yeah, Frank Frank Algernon West and Frank Westerly and Algernon. Uh, as something that will be shared in in the videos. Um, I also took part in having a naming convention this uh, season with my backstory and the characters tied. There's basically an excessive amount of time travel related naming schemes with my stuff. And people have asked, did Marty meant like Martis? I'm like, yes, it was a double reference. One to Marty McFly <laughs> from Back to the Future and the other being Martis. The other reason why I named him Marty was that. Ed's original name when he worked at the casino was Emmett, as in Dr. Emmett Brown, which was, again, another layer in just all the references. Yeah. And for most of the part, for most part, I uh, split up the names so that I wasn't easily Googleable. So like Algernon Blackwood mm -hmm. was a person who was in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And so he became Algernon and Professor Blackwood. I split that, that name up. One time I forgot to do that and people did figure out who the reference was, but not why, was Diego Rivera. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I was like, that's the fucking painter. He was a painter, and he was also a member of the ancient mystical order of the Rosicrucis. Um, Did he? Was he really? He was. Yes. So I, f I forgot to scramble that one. The rest aren't, aren't easily Googleable, but that one is incredibly easy to figure out. That's the thread you want to pull. I knew immediately the moment it came out of your mouth, I was like, why? I'm just really bad at creating names, so I made a name and then later was like, did I just pick that because of Frank West? I don't know. Well, what I do every season, because uh, I have kind of a naming convention, is that for the first name, I just kind of Google shit. That means something that could be kind of related. I think Lenora meant like light or something. I don't know. No, that's something else. I don't remember. It meant something. Uh, and that's the last <laughs> name Desmond because Nora sounds like Norma. And Sunset Boulevard is one of my favorite movies. It's also a decent musical. Everybody should watch Sunset Boulevard. I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix. Um, and then my parents, Joe and Norma, are the actual characters in Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a fun game if you want to try to play who is this person named after. I, I thought I was going to get caught when I named uh, Frank's uh, husband and kids uh, LeVay, because obviously Anton LeVay. Yeah, I was thinking I, I, hmm, I should have I cared more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have cared more. <laughs> that's fucking hell. About the name. We're too busy, we're too busy playing our characters to play your silly games, Austin. Yeah. I am not a rat to run in your maze. It's an incredible dunk, intentional or not. I should have cared more. That's the episode name. Uh, Jade also asked, what form did Aaron encounter in the desert? So mm. this is a great mystery. For me, it's kind of this season's is Deckard a replicant? Um, I think the clues are there to figure it out. I, if you guys had taken up Aaron's offer to work for him, you could have asked him. No one did. I don't know that I want to reveal yeah. it now. Yeah. Huh? 
I said, because we hate him. Yeah, everyone hates Aaron, which is good. You're supposed to. He's fucking monstrous. To be fair, we all kind of hated him, but we were going to go along with him until Reese was like, ah, fuck you. Yeah, that's true. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what sucks about him is he's not greedy. He's not like uh, mm. power hungry. He's not sexist or racist or anything. He's just, he has a kind of ideology that is appealing to people, which is uh, like, uh, you know, powerful people should uh, rule. He is based, I said this before, but he the way I role played him was based on Howard Roark, the protagonist of the novel The Fountainhead. Um, and Howard Roark, for those who don't know, is the hero. The things he does are supposed to be good. He's supposed to embody the ideals of objectivism, Ayn Rand's philosophy. He's also a rapist and a terrorist, and these things are portrayed positively in the novel. He is a hero because he does them. And that's how I kind of played Aaron was he does not care about anyone else. They're barely people because he is better yep. and he is special and he deserves to win because he's better. And anyone else yep. who tries to stop him is worse and in his way and they're yeah. a leech and they aren't a person. That's a yikes for me, dog. Right. And, and, and some people were kind of concerned about like the like it, how how does beating him in a fight give someone the right to control Valentine? The idea was, well, he's better than everyone in all respects. He's just inherently better. Mm -hmm. So if someone was able to beat him in a direct fight, then they must be better than him enough in order to inherit Valentine, I think is sort of the idea there. If he's not the best at literally everything, then he's like, well, I give up. Yeah. How does dynamiting a building prove his point about socialism? I don't know. Does he just he's a madman. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what's funny, though, because we didn't talk about politics ex as explicitly as I think the audience got the idea from. Mm. Like, I feel like this, mm. this season has a reputation as being like the anti-capitalist season or like the politics season. And it only has politics insofar as all fiction has politics. And I guess like cyberpunk is a genre has politics, but they're not spicy. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't go out there and make any grand claims. Everything's either just true about the world. Like I cited court cases and mm -hmm. stuff. Or it's right. a genre convention of yep. science fiction. I think that the interesting like political statement, if there is one to be made, is that as much as on paper you might have a lot of political views, it can be really difficult to see how you go from being a normal person who has those views to enacting that kind of change you want to see in the world. But that is a really complicated, muddy thing to do and that there's not an easy answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this season is incredibly layered. I feel like I could do an entire you know hour and a half podcast just on, say, like the religion stuff or another one on just the political stuff. But it's not like I went in like, this is the anti-capitalist season. Gonna dunk on Yeah, them. but like it is the anti-capitalist season, though, let's be fair. <laughs> and I think a lot of that was brought by us, though, like yeah. all of us struggling IRL. I, 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 I think the principal moment that happened was when Frank was handed over the medical bill um, <laughs> it radicalized him and, and, and that was just that that was just like uh, what it, it's weird for me living in a country yeah that like has you know national health care and then being like oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's one of those things it's just true it's not like i was trying to make a particular statement although maybe you can yeah. say that the fact that it's true is a statement unto itself but my when right. i sat down to write this i was like this is going to be a season about what happens to society when they lose the gods mm. and i'm going to set it in shadow run mm -hmm. so like that's the order of operations and it's like yep the, uh, my my interest was not so much in like 
all, all the things that the season has a reputation for, although they are important and worth talking about. I just don't think they're particularly revolutionary. I don't think this is a radical season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a side question here. How early did you decide that Mardis was actually a form uh, when it came to the season? Because I did. when you said that from Aaron's standpoint, that was the first time I heard that even being a thing, right? Yeah, I don't remember exactly. I think it was pretty early just because the fact of him just being a regular normal ghost wouldn't be that interesting because ghosts are just a thing in D&D. They're just everywhere. So it's just right. not a very interesting revelation from my perspective. So I, I don't remember the sure. exact moments, but I just thought that was more cool. It, it, it definitely changed a lot about how I played that dynamic in character. So that was just a very fascinating turn of events there. Hmm. There was actually an interesting side question about that as well, where someone mentioned... Um, if Ed died earlier in the campaign, would you have had a, would I have a backup plan to keep Martis in the game? And my response was, I wouldn't have, because at that time I wouldn't have thought of Martis being important enough to carry over. I assume that there would have been something that happened though with Aaron, but yeah, the disappointing thing is a lot of questions are what would have happened if X and it's like, oh, I would have made it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, we would have, we would have made it up. I mean, that we can speculate, but it's nothing like what happens in the moment. I so. make up things literally sentence to sentence sometimes. Mm. Um, good question from Resistant Hound uh, at Hound of Silence on Twitter. What happened to Big Guy, the goblin bartender Lenora oh, hit on? Big Guy. And what is his conduit power? I like to think he's a janitor at the casino now, and he is the conduit of slime. <laughs> Oh, he <laughs> Oh, but listen, he loves slime. He's very slimy. Oh, so he's really excited about it. He's like, oh, I get to clean up all this slime. No, he gets to be slime, you know? Does he just, like, shoot slime out so that he can clean it up? I yes. like to think that he's the conduit of bigness. <laughs> he's a very big guy. <laughs> big guy. I'm really the big guy now. Hey. <laughs> I'm the biggest big guy. <laughs> Um, here's another question at Tom, or yeah, it's Tom Williams at Tom Williams, 1990 at the very start of the campaign in your head, who was the final boss? Um, that's, I suppose for me, um, it was either probably going to be Aaron or Luna. Those are the two clearest antagonists in my mind, mm. but there's always a chance that you guys got extremely interested in Luna and murked him early on. Um, it would have been difficult and you would have had to like, you know, do something more simple than just attack him, maybe like build up an army or something, but you could have done it. And Aaron was just a guy until he became a conduit. So he actually could have been, I mean, he was a cyborg, he was strong, but it wasn't until he touched the Ironsoft in like episode like 18 where he became final boss strong. Mm -hmm. So you could have marked him earlier too. Um, so I think those are the two, but it's not set in stone like uh, we could have done a thing where like scale turned evil and it was just like a giant robot or something i don't that's kind of lame now that i said it out loud but that's just a thing that could have happened <laughs> mm -hmm. um richard was a, just a truly fucking evil person um ash maybe but yeah i think probably those two mm -hmm. any thoughts on that guys i i i would have liked to have seen um our Judge Lady be the uh, the final <laughs> boss. Because no, but I love I, her. I would have liked her to be the final boss purely so that we could have fought the law and then, you know, would the law have won? <laughs> I don't know. We won. But then Kennedy's version. It's an extremely good joke. Um, Was she an alligator or a crocodile? Because I keep thinking of her as an alligator because I love Florida. Um, so uh, Justice Alistair was a crocodile because she, no. the idea in my mind was that the crocodile god in Egyptian mythology um, Oh, set. 
Sobek is the name of the crocodile god from Egyptian mythology. Set an alligator then? Man, crocodiles and alligators get me every time. <laughs> They're always going to get you. Someone asked, I hope I find this question, but someone mentioned that there is a type of crocodile called the gavial, and her <laughs> whole thing is gavels. So I really, I whiffed on that, and it's true. I failed you, and I apologize. That's 100% on me. I have to be better. You expect more from mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so, um, Sword Lesbian at Gentle Downpour asks, Laura, did you find it difficult or off-putting to play a man? Uh it it was a thing that I deliberately did as like an exercise in pushing myself. Um, in terms of character voices, as someone that was assigned male at birth, like a lot of my usable voice range is a lot lower. Um, and as such, I was like, it is the thing. When I started transitioning, I for a long time put away my stack of like masculine voices to play with because I felt very uncomfortable using them. And yeah, it's taken like five, six years of transition, but, like, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have voices that I can do with my voice that I find fun to do. I'm not gonna let the weirdness of the disconnect from my appearance, like, stop me from having fun with them. So, it it was an interesting challenge in playing someone who was not like myself. Um, I'm not gonna continue it in season five. I'm playing a female character again. Uh... It, yeah, it was just an exercise in, I have a voice that I never do anything with, I'd like to push myself and try and play a character who's further away from who I am. So, yeah, I guess that's the answer. It, it wasn't weird, It I couldn't have done it a few years ago, but I could now. Second part of that post was, in any case, amazing performance. Thank you. Um, that voice, the <laughs> the place where that voice came into, into Dice Funk is shortly before Dice Funk Season 4 started, I'd been doing uh, a podcast called Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I do a lot of just, like, skits with various voices. And the other place that voice gets used is for a skit called The Brochial Justice Warriors, which is just a (laughs) pair of gruff men who talk very, like, very wokely about social issues. So uh, that's where that voice came from. I'm so mad because Queer and Pleasant Strangers is the best name for a podcast in literally all history and I'll never achieve anything like that. You you should all go listen to Queer and Pleasant Strangers where <laughs> me and my fiance we like uh my, my season five character voice also originally was a character on Queer and Pleasant Strangers called the Sherry Lady. I <laughs> just stealing all my voices from that podcast for Dice Funk. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's a great place to workshop it. Um Zoe at Dalek Hat on Twitter. Dalek? It's, I assume, Dalek Hat asks, why won't you let Sweet Rat Girl be happy? <laughs> I feel like that is none of our faults. Yeah, I will answer for Chris. He said that he, he could not imagine with what, everything that happened that Ra- Reese would react any differently. That once she killed a hundred of her best friends slash former lover, she was just as Chris is in real life, in too depressed a place to get help. So it was the emotionally honest thing to do. And I cannot congratulate him enough on being that good of a storyteller to go through with it. I think I, in my incredible cowardice and desire to be liked, (laughs) would have pulled that punch. And he is a better person than me in that respect. He just really Mm -hmm. fucking nailed it. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. you sometimes just have to have those sad moments with your characters. Yeah. Yeah. He he could have done differently, mm-hmm. but he was better than that. And I it was amazing. Um he also mentioned that he had another idea for something that could have been in addition to what he did, which was have Reese use her conduit of art to paint a picture to give to Bo that would haunt her. 
Um, basically mm. the same way he did to Richard, basically, you know, mind, mind fuck Bo with guilt, which would have been a, a pretty vicious dunk, but also just not emotionally honest, I think, for like Reese was yeah. kind of self-beating up and not raging at the world so much. Yeah. So I must say, I think, honestly, Chris was the most impressive in terms of like really consistent, strong, and emotionally honest character choices yeah like he he pulled some fucking like good interesting choices out of those characters yeah like i just played uh, a worse version of myself (laughs) my my character was he he wants to be dad that that was about all that he really he wants to be a dad that that's all i had my character was zeroed in on i'm gonna end this season with a happy ending (laughs) for my character's that was my primary goal uh, for most of the season. It's it's a totally fair it's a totally fair choice. <laughs> but yeah, we should all just take a moment to be thankful for Chris. He did an incredible job this season. He's not here to defend himself from compliments, which is his mo. So he, yeah, his belly is exposed. It's all attack. He was like completely <laughs> killing it on both ends of the spectrum on the serious, emotionally wrought stuff, but also like he got some fucking great fucking laughs. He's a very funny man. He's a very funny man. Yeah, I, I am of the opinion this is the funniest season we've ever done, and a lot of it is Chris. Like, all of the Dunstan checks in stuff, all of the Brody Monk stuff, oh. all the Julia Mild stuff, it k- fucking killed it. I mean, we had some good stuff, like in the Big Dick Energy episode joke, that was, like, laughs throughout um, the whole thing. I, I, every time I see a bottle of Mane and Tail. <laughs> yes, Mane and Tail. This is, this is our best work. Like, this is the funniest season. This is the most action-packed season. It had the coolest boss fights. It's, co- it's thematically cohesive. The symbol is really strong like we nailed it but chris is just a force and i'm so happy he's here he's just very good yeah i did not nearly focus lean in as much of the comedy side i was more interested in other thought experiments i guess with my setup but yeah you know. everyone has different strengths you got to play to your strengths it's just that he's good at everything so <laughs> fuck us i guess must be nice um Another question, Proudly Arrogant, uh, at Proudly Arrogant on Twitter, asks, Austin, Yugoloths, their whole thing is capitalism as one of the three types of evil forces. And Planescape shit, how weren't they totally your thing? So as we've discussed before, the three kinds of evil, lawful, neutral, and chaotic, are represented by devils, demons, and Yugoloths. Yugoloths used to be called daemons, A-E. Um, long story. Uh, the reason there are no Yugoloths in the season is because it's not about capitalism. They are the capitalism monster, literally, in canon and D&D. Their whole thing is they will do anything to make money. Like, chaotic demons just wanted to destroy because they're chaos. Lawful demons wanted to make evil, but only in orderly ways for hierarchy and, you know, their very rigid caste system. And Yugoloths are just, what if capitalism, but punch. Um, <laughs> it's just not what the, like, yeah, I've discussed it a little bit, but this this season was about society and how... Uh, without the direction of the gods, what do people choose to do um, this season? It made us all poor and we all needed money. So mm, capitalism season, though. So mm. in a in a way, but that's just, that says more about our society yeah, than it does yeah. anything else. Like, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. Making it in 2018, I think, informed a lot. I think if we had made this mm. during like 2015, it wouldn't have felt the same. Like, we could yeah. have said all the same exact words. It would just felt different. Mm. Um. But yeah, I think Yugoloths would be perfect for a season in which I specifically am attacking capitalism. 
Um, but also, if I was doing that, I would feel compelled to point out the good things about capitalism, like the increased efficiency and the incentives for innovation, because I'm not blind to the fact that it's more complicated than good and evil, obviously. So I didn't really go into that this season that much because it's just not what the focus was. But mm. I mean, you could argue that Aaron, um, his whole thing in being like, actually, I invented a new kind of spaceship is like that. But yeah, I, I, mm. you, you lots are the appropriate vehicle. Um, but I didn't know where we were, where we were going, I guess. So I didn't know which vehicle to take. <laughs> um, can I just say that it's so funny to me that me at least thought that Aaron was based on Elon Musk. Oh God. Yeah. No. Yeah. And now all that fucking Elon Musk shit's going down and he's just a bumbling fool. <laughs> yeah. Everyone did. I saw, uh, literally I saw a tweet earlier that it say it said, Aaron, what if Elon Musk was a terrorist? <laughs> um, there's one question that I. I came across that was interesting about the whole Martis Ed dynamic. Someone asked, it was the bagel, Sam Bagel 18 on Twitter. <laughs> the bagel? The bagel 14 and at Sam Bagel 18. Okay. <laughs> he said, why did I decide to bring Martis back? Um, to answer that question, I decided that Martis was going to be in season four as part of Ed within one episode of introducing Martis in season three. Um, that's how long that whole thing was instilled as an arc for me. Um, if if Martis died, there Ed would have been the same character. There would have been something in him. It would have been just a different character, not Martis. And then someone he also mentions how around the time he was revealed, felt like Ed started taking a back seat. Yes, that was intentional because Ed had a very narrow goal. He just wanted to help Cundy, help the quarter around. He had no aspirations about getting back with the rest of the band or helping Valentine as a whole. Martis, the second half of that whole thing was Martis developing an interest in helping Valentine and doing what he could to help and basically getting Ed to assist him in that process. So that was an intentional thing on my part. Uh, How'd you, why'd you plan it so far in advance? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I do everything last minute. Whoa. Yeah, Lauren doesn't send me your character sheets until 10 minutes before recording. That's not true. I did it early this time. Uh, I, 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 how, how it was very easy because originally um, I, I had a, I had a misplaced traveler conceit with Martis appearing in Ilium by accident at one point as just the way to introduce him because I thought Roland was going to just flat out die. Then once Martis came up with an idea, I was tooling around in the homebrew community and he came up with this, this idea of a temporal sorcerer who got their magic from a time travel anomaly. I'm like, you know what? Okay, I, I want to roll with this. I want to make a character who has magic because the spirit of someone from the past is in their body. And I, and I said, hey, let me just do it with the one who's going to be the most likely to get into some weird planar travel, some weird time shenanigans and... That's how Martis was decided almost immediately to be sort of this entity that was threaded into season four. And then he became a way bigger character in season four than I ever anticipated. And I really like that like whole like sneak peek thing kind of like we did with Dora, although that was I created Dora and mm -hmm. then we're like, let's shoo her into season two. But I think it's fun that we like keep kind of doing that because like even if it's each season a standalone, it's like a little like a little nugget of hey, remember? Um, also, it was just fun to have Martis be the voice that introduced the episode for season four. And you fucking got me. I never guessed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that voice never really paid off fully until the last episode where you got to speak in that voice. Um, as opposed to through my voice processor that I spent 
months researching to figure out the best voice configuration for It was Ed. really dope. So, well, time well spent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got uh, another Jade at Jade the Thief question here. Favorite holodeck card? Ooh. Smarter son. I got, I gotta go with the I gotta go with the hamster. He was, was just, oh no, the hamster's good too. I just love Florida. He's so spicy. The hamster's got to be just like because it's just such a a weird direction to take that. Uh, my favorite was Dodgy Dave's Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> oh shit, I forgot that one. Yeah, Dodgy Dave. Yeah, that uh, didn't get used after like the couple first couple arcs. I don't think, but that was good. I didn't use it much, but I I just love that name. That was great. I. I thought holodeck was going to be a thing where we'd have to like take a, a bunch of time out for like, all right, Frank wants to play cards. So everyone else, I guess, check Twitter or whatever. But I it actually folded in really naturally mm. into the season, I mm-hmm. think. And it worked out really well. It maps well from Wizard. And I think that the way we set up worked pretty well. Uh, someone even asked about the fact that Martyrs was using uh, cleric spells. It was uh, unfinished novel. A certain... Uh, tendency uh, asked, you know, you know, is the like where are the powers drawn from for drawn from for cleric spells? Is it the forms themselves or another source? And the answer is it's the forms themselves, which has always been you know. the answer. Nothing's yeah. changed, right? Nothing's changed. It's just the fact that the reason why I justified Martyrs being able to do that because he was within the plane for so long, he had some connection up there that made it easier for him to just access all spells. Also because it's a send-off character for me, so I'm just like, you know, I'm going to indulge in, here. In, in terms of what you were saying about, like, uh, not having to stop too often for Frank to do cards, I think outside of the card game heist, I think there was only once where Frank actually, like, played a card game, and that was the first downtime scene, because that was still a big thing, and then I think, like, mm-hmm. by the time we got around to maybe the second downtime scene, it was very quickly, like, obvious, like, oh... Yeah, Frank needs to start his journey to pivot away from that and to learn to be a more rounded person. Mm-hmm. There was there was three. There was the first time you played Algernon and lost. Yeah. There was the second time during the heist, and then there was the third time when you played him and won. Oh yeah, okay. There was there was another time after the heist. Yeah. Yeah. Rule of three. Mm-hmm. That's how you do fiction. Yeah. Sneak peek for me for my book: How to Do Fiction in <laughs> Three Easy Steps. Rule of three. Yeah. <laughs> three. Do the thing. Another. <laughs> Another Jade question. What's the secret to making every season run for exactly 38 or 39 episodes? <laughs> uh, um, not only is it not planned, um, I have no fucking control over it. If anything, I'm actually failing because it's my desire to make every season as short as possible. <laughs> it's just writing 101, uh, you know, strunk and white element of styles, omit needless words. The most important writing advice besides know your audience, both three word sentences, know your audience omit needless words so i try to do as little as possible and i keep failing in front of everyone <laughs> well you have people like me who would just insert extra words all over the place too so that that doesn't help yeah we ruin your plans all the time yep it's good that's half the fun um Yukun at Yukun gifts on twitter asks austin did you have a list of every npc's conduit or was that all improv um so no, I don't have a, like a list or anything. It, for for the crown people, it's easy because there's the ten crowns of Corp and the ten Sephira, so it's just that it's just a religious thing. I didn't need to improvise any there anything there. And for the other NPCs, I just knew them well enough to just 
kind of improv it, I guess. It's it's like it's not like I didn't know going in because I just knew the characters, but I don't know, it's a weird fine line between writing and improv, right? Where it's just like you write the character a little bit and then you just know everything else about them when you open your mouth. Mm. So mm. What would uh Rosen's conduit be? Uh, I think relaxation. Ah. Mm-hmm. And would Bird be bare itself? Well, okay. So here's a good question. Someone asked, "What would George's conduit be?" And I didn't. I didn't ask that question. <gasps> George. Well, because Bird mm. and George are not sapient. Oh, I feel like they're mm. smart and okay. My boys. B- Bird is sentient, and but he's mm-hmm. not. He's not sapient. sapient. Yeah. yeah. So this is a bit of a oh. uh, like a nitpicky thing, and like I don't. Mm. Yeah, I'm just choosing to draw the line there. This is kind of a judgment call, but yeah, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, right. It's it's not like yeah, right. Like Marty, that bear you know, the, pet, you the, pet, the pet cat, like you know, Ed's pet cat does not have a con. Is not a conduit of anything because it's not that. However. If the spell Awaken was cast upon him and his intellect was brought up to 10 and he was made fully self-aware, maybe. What would Bird's conduit be, Lauren? You get to decide. Well, I said bear itself. Just <laughs> He's just the best possible bear? Yeah. D- he was great. Did you forget? I did not forget. Lauren Cates was the one who asked what form did George pick. So credit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, good boy itself. The goodest of boys. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot of questions. Sega mind just ask Chris, why bitch? <laughs> <laughs> this is stunning. Thank you guys. Uh, Pip Mason at house broken Greek asks during the fight with St. Luna, couldn't the God also have taken control of Rosen as he also took Equinox? Um, yes. So he absolutely could have. He might have, if the fight had gone differently, it's just that he was a little busy getting his eyes ripped out. Mm-hmm. I try to play NPCs not doing the mathematical best thing, but whatever they would do given their personalities and situations. So if I wanted to win every fight, I could. Like, <laughs> I have that power. I choose to do what the characters would do. And Luna was focused on the four people he thought he was about to own, and then they started getting fucking mouthy with him. And so. If Aaron had hit yeah. Frank like three times, he'd have been dead with no chance of revival. Like, you could have taken him out. Had y- your goal been kill people? Yeah, if Frank had spent the entire campaign back talking Aaron, I might have exactly. <laughs> but you didn't. You, you had never actually done anything to make him mad at you. Mart and Martis definitely was drawing a lot of aggro from Aaron, which was great. Um, I'm surprised I didn't get hit more. One of my f- favorite moments in the campaign was uh, Luna killing off Ed because um, that was a. V- shocking moment from for me and i decided to just go full out just over the cliff with that moment <laughs> yeah it was and a it decision. was great yes um alex caliber at xcaliber on twitter asks would the campaign have what would the campaign have been like if team loser had gone to work for solomon and would they have found out about saint luna any faster um first of all yes mm. that probably if they had worked for solomon that would have probably been most of the campaign is them doing jobs for him um and probably working to undermine him or turn on him eventually, unless it would have gone full villain campaign. But then I think St. Luna would have been the final boss. Cause that's the one you guys would have spent more time with and built a rapport and connections with, as opposed to Aaron mm-hmm. where, and the campaign we did play St. Luna was kind of just a big bastard. Like mm-hmm. he didn't just a big fat lizard. Yeah. Like he, he was a douche and he needed to get, get got, but he didn't really like earn the final boss label where if you guys had worked for Solomon, he would have. So that's the big change in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Cyrith asks, Lauren, did your kitties influence your character creation or way of playing Lenora? Here's the thing about me and cats. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I've actually grown up with cats. Like, this is not that many cats in my house right now. There's only two cats. That's, like, a minimal amount of cats, because I grew up with, like, 15 cats growing up. Yay! So these specific cats did not influence me, necessarily. I'm just so used to cats, I guess. If if your if Lenora had been based on the cats you have now, she would have eaten all the other player characters. <laughs> she would have eaten a lot more bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and got into a lot more garbage. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have accomplished anything because you would have just been I'd be playing in the dumpster the whole time. Exactly. If if she'd been based on my cat Smudge, all she'd have done is shout the entire time. When's dinner? <laughs> hey, <laughs> dinner. I need the wet food. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I was funny, what I thought was funny was the fact that eventually Lenara did basically take on a pet robot with George. Um, yeah, I know, which is something we had talked like, we, we taught, right. played with. Before, before the campaign, I came across a modern conversion of 5th edition that had a warlock patron that was the super intelligence. So it was the computers themselves. And you could summon a pet robot. And so the idea is you had a robot in the party with a pet cat and a cat in the party with a pet robot. And I thought that would have been a fun contrast. We still got it, though, eventually, which is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. That also reminds me when we started uh, like planning and stuff. I was like, all right, it's set in the modern day. And so there's going to be like computers and stuff. And it's like, you know, the, doing a heist like Shadowrun and the iconic Shadowrun character is like the hacker. Uh-huh. And I think at some point Lauren is like, well, OK, I'll be the hacker. And then I don't know, like, I don't remember how long it was, like weeks, months, maybe. She was like, I don't know shit about computers. Fuck that. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. But I can put together a playlist. Yeah. <laughs> so we could have had a much more conventional Shadowrun campaign. Mm-hmm. We could have. But we didn't. But I'm not shit about shit. <laughs> you don't know shit about shit. Oh, fun fun fact while I remember to talk about it, about Frank. Uh, that idea was originally Chris's. Chris was the one who originally came up oh, with yes. the idea oh, for the, yeah. card game, the, uh, the trading card game wizard. And I was like, I really like that, Chris. Can I be the card game wizard? Yeah, Chris is constantly generating character ideas. Like, the reason he plays so many in every season is because he just has so many, like, over the last you know, a couple months, he's brought like three or four different ones to me being like, all right, so uh, how many seasons do you have planned? Because I already got characters. <laughs> like, he's just constantly doing that. And Who gave him the right to be so good? Season five is the one where I've had the most ideas, but like, I'm, I'm good with the one I've settled with. I did have, wasn't the only idea I had for once, though. But yeah, so sometimes he just gives them out. Like, he deigns <laughs> to bestow on you his solid gold. Yeah, I, I, I was blessed with Frank. I, the personality and the things he was aiming for were mine, but card gaming wizard I stole from Chris. Next question, uh, Pidgeboy at GFunBegas on Twitter asks, can the form you're a conduit of change? Um, so yes, so here, here's a great example. I'll make this very simple. There is a tree in a forest. It is reflecting the form of tree itself. Someone chops the tree down and makes a table out of it. Now it's table and it's reflecting table itself. It changed. Mm-hmm. Right. That, it's that simple. So I feel like sometimes we have a tendency to overcomplicate this. Um, maybe I underestimated how complicated this is. I feel like it's like the first idea cave people had about the how the world works. <laughs> we should be simple enough, but, you know, you never know. I mean, well, I mean, the problem is that you have that, and then you in- introduce people asking questions about it over and over again and trying to unpack the consequences of it, and that's what makes it complicated, right? I think, you know... 
it's uh, there, that's why for me it's always an interesting challenge to try to come up with succinct analogies about what it means to be form, conduit, guide, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah, yeah, people have been debating these things for thousands of years. I guess forms just have the disadvantage of being provably not real. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as opposed to most. We, we, we talked about this before too, where it's like I, I've mentioned, like Platonic realism is just bullshit. But yeah, but so is magic. It's very useful for this podcast. It's very useful for for explaining D and D pantheon stuff. And otherwise, yeah, I mean, so is magic. But also, we just have a, a stronger cultural understanding of magic, so our brains just let it through. It's uh, the human mind is a mystery. Let's see here. Here's a softball. I think we've all probably answered this off mic, but Vin Yost at Vin Yost asks, what would your conduit forms be in the meat space? Exhaustion. (laughs) In in, in a real talk moment, my talks with my psychologist about various things, including existentialism, leads me to not view that to be a, a good question for me to answer. If I were to try and think of like a thing that I think... like. I can't think of a single word to describe this, but I think the thing that has defined like the last few years of my life has been uh, compulsive overworking has been a big thing that has like permeated my life for a few years. So probably be something around that. That's a very real talk answer. I don't know. Oh, I thought of one. Garbage. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Comedy podcast. Thank you. Lauren is basically a trubbish IRL. Oh, I am. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Naps. I want to be the conduit of naps. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's what I want. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like the conduit of nap would be very similar to what, like, everyone's always like, what's your, what superpower would you have? I would stop time so that I could sleep whenever I wanted. And I feel like that's what the conduit of naps would be. If I can just, like, choose to have one conduit of, like, rad parties would be cool. Energy? Can I just, like, can life just be a rad party? Energy would be good just to, like, if you start feeling tired, which is always, yeah. then you just... Conduit of... <laughs> just slip up some energy. Conduit oh, no. of feeling good and awake. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Here's here's a wide open one. Um, uh, that's another Vin Yost at Vin Yost asks, what was everyone's favorite role play moment in the campaign? Um, play of the game. I have one of, like, my favorite Frank role playing moment, and... It's the one I got a tattoo of when the season ended was um the Frank surrendering to Algernon at the at the end of that fight because he he didn't want to win the way that he was about to. That that was a moment that I did not warn anyone about. I think I gave Austin a heads up of like, give me a heads up when like the end of them like when he's about to lose so that I can do a thing. But like mm-hmm. it was the moment I felt like I did the most interesting thing with that character. Not because I thought it was a good choice, but because it was an impactful choice. Um, choosing to go forward with Plan Snitch. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I listen, I ain't no snitch. <laughs> but um, I just, it felt good that it, mo- it, like, changed a lot of things, and I like having an impact. It set the entire second half of the campaign off because like if you didn't do that right then you wouldn't have had administration right uh happen and if administration didn't happen then martis and ed would have rolled their fucking what 32 performance to usurp power from alistair yeah no like everything we did at the uh, anything everything i did at the the courthouse is like probably my favorite mm-hmm. 
I mean, it was, it was just just great stuff there. So like, uh, I mean, the, the courthouse might the courthouse might be the best moment in Dice Funk history. Oh, yeah, just like full stop. That that moment where we all used our powers in conjunction to deflect that bullet was like mm, the coolest moment I've been a part of in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I had to fucking be very careful with my words because Austin trapped me. What? Because <laughs> it's zone of truth. And so I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that whole thing. No, the whole sequence, like every part of it was extremely good. Strategically, uh, my best moment was getting Ash to jump out the window. Yeah, that was very like, cool. Just, li- just like, because <laughs> I, I, the best part was just, I knew you did not expect me to do that. You you were not expecting me to just be like, okay, there's an open window. The image of Ed jumps out the window. What do you do? Um, and that was a big one. I think the other one was letting Ed die at Luna was a big one because it set a very interesting high stakes final arc moment. I think that was a really good bit of escalation for Mardis as a character. God, this fe- season fucking slapped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, you had those, uh, uh, and for me, then my favorite part about that arc, by the way, was I thought what you were going to do with Bo was to have Bo kill himself and use that as the means to do the resurrection because now that, you know, her, her legacy was established and secured, that's what I thought. But then you're like, shoots Martis in the neck. <laughs> okay. That's what happens. Yeah, we never actually said the spell that Bo used on air. I think D and D fans know, but for the for the, everyone else, it's true resurrection is the ninth level miracle spell that Bo cast on them both. And and even then it was kind of beyond what it normally does because it's Bo and Bo was able to do that because miracles. Miracles, yeah. I think probably the moment that um like the Supreme Court is probably the right answer, but also one that stuck yep. with me extremely powerfully was just when everything at the end of the military thing collapsed when mm. uh Katarina killed Nucky, who was also one of the main mm-hmm. antagonists of the season, could have been like your Justice Alistair, like working for you the whole time, although he would have turned on you because he was a bastard, but also could have been an antagonist. Like he was a major character and just got fucking owned in his first scene. And then outside uh, Mardis was revealed and it's just like everything was happening at once it was just like mm-hmm. that was really fucking overwhelming I yeah, just want to say yeah. as, a per- as a human being playing that yeah. whole fucking scene was incredibly stressful that like four episodes was the worst it was a, it was like the red wedding like everyone's dying inside the, the base in yeah. the drunk and you can't stop it it just keeps happening exactly like yeah the, the, the pin was pulled out the grenade and thrown and you're just like oh shit I didn't know grenades blow up like that <laughs> yeah so we have, we have those multiple points during this season, which were more action packed than every other season combined. <laughs> yeah. So we, we got wild there. Um, Sega mind at fifth Curtis asks when the player characters touched the iron soft was scale communicating to them or just to us, the audience, how I wanted that to work was basically because it's impossible to put into words, the ineffability of the universe like people have been trying in art for thousands of years no one has ever captured the totality of existence and it would be futile to try i wanted it to be more abstract like a, you know like a david lynch film mm. where like someone goes into like a liminal space where physics don't apply and someone says some weird shit kind of that it's not literal like he, skell is not telling the people 
that in the scene anything. He is on the internet writing mm-hmm. his poems, and this is just us seeing one of the poems that happens to work with the themes of the scene. Mm. So we could have just stopped and said, like, Lenora checks her email and sees a poem. Here's what it says, which would have been yeah. like, killing the momentum and also missing an opportunity to do something artistic with the iron soft scenes so mm-hmm. in the film adaptation they touch it and they see like all i think chris described it as like the scene in doctor strange where his hands grow hands grow hands grow hands like that and you're seeing that uh, but you're hearing poetry yeah the the i, I like the point to david lynch because i'm like man oh geez there could be there could have been some very lynchian sort of things that this whole thing could have gone down especially because we talked about one point about you know going directly to the plane of forms as some sort of idea that I had. And I would have pictured it being just basically, all right, this entire sequence is as directed by David Lynch. If that happened, it would be hard to do something too abstract because a, there's no visuals and B, we all need to be on the same page. Yeah. That's, that's a recurring thing about podcasting is you have to play it to the strengths of the medium, which are almost always dialogue. Right. So, I would like to do things a little weirder sometimes. Like my artistic inclination is to be kind of a pretentious prick. But since this is a collaborative effort and you guys on the show need to know what the fuck I'm talking about, sometimes I will just say stuff that normally I would leave as subtext, which sometimes people say like, Austin, you're being so ham fisted. And it's like, if I don't say it, they won't know it. And then they can't react to it. Like we're we're doing this together. Sometimes I know it. Sometimes I know it. I I record at like 2 a.m. sometimes and I need things explained to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you just you have to be aware of the medium you're using. This yep. is a collaborative podcast, so it needs to be collaborative, and it needs to be words. So sometimes we have to make mm-hmm. uh, decisions that wouldn't be the same if I was making a novel by myself or making a film with hundreds of people. And that's and that's definitely something that is tough to do because if you're trying to tell certain stories and you want to have like a natural reaction from a player of surprise, mm-hmm. you got to hide certain things. But then sometimes plans don't go as expected and you just have to roll with it when it happens. Right. You, you can't tell someone, oh, no, don't do that. I got a plan because it gives away the plan. Here's a question from Einar Johansson, who asks, if Kit- Katarina hadn't crit failed and run over Aaron in the desert, how would the team have come across him? Um, so <laughs> recall that this is not a railroaded campaign. Um, I, before the season started, I came up with a bunch of NPCs and a bunch of locations, which in this case were heist because I knew we were doing a heist season. They could have gone to Aaron at almost any point if they would be, if they were working with someone who wanted to heist Aaron, uh, Solomon wanted to heist Aaron. So if you worked for him, you could have done it very early. Um, Nucky would have wanted you to heist Aaron. Um, probably, Memphis at some point it, it's Memphis had a whole storyline about like inner inner departmental conflict with a faction of mole folk who didn't like his leadership. If you had went with him, that would have been like a bunch of the story. Um, the way it works is that Aaron probably would have been met when you were heisting Aaron aeronautics. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how he would have been introduced. It's like you break in to steal this thing he's building, which was the iron soft, right? So imagine if you had early in the campaign agreed to work with Solomon. Solomon says there's a rival corporation in a country next door. He's building something. Go steal it for me. That's a, that's a heist. Mm. And you break in. Here he is. He gives you his philosophical mumbo jumbo, but he hasn't activated the machine yet. Maybe you just cut his head off and take it. That could have happened. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. It didn't. Katarina failed. And I realized that Aaron was on a mission from the forms and I hadn't really solidified how. And so the idea that he had a vision 
he had like a, a, a vision quest in the desert was just mm-hmm. perfect. It's just, a, it's already a trope. It's like fits like hand in glove and it just all came together literally between the role and me talking. <laughs> like that's how fast that decision was made. So that it, it'd be like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Anybody else thoughts on all that? I just said a lot. Uh, I, 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 it was one of those things where we're talking about when to do the reveal for Martis. And you initially said it was going to be after the, uh, the heist at the military base. And then that crit happened, that crit fail. And then that, that whole thing just led up way more quickly to that reveal. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, if the first thing Nucky would have had you guys heist, if you worked with him would have been Aaron aeronautics. Cause it's such a juicy target full of, money mm-hmm. and it, you would have met Aaron there and that's where the reveal would have happened that crit fail changed a lot like it's one of the most important things along with uh, Lenora's plan to work for administration mm-hmm. um, a very pivotal moment um, Trev at uh, Gick and a half on Twitter asks were there any ideas for keeping Cat alive and if so how do you think they would have played out so when Cat got her arm blown off my immediate reaction was all right, so she's going to go get a robo-arm and come back as the Winter Soldier. Obviously, that's how this works. Right. And Chris said, uh, Katarina's story's done. Mm. He said, I don't have anything else to say about her. Um, it would be fi- it would be cheap to try to bring her back for like a, you know, a quick pop. I feel like, like a cheap heat, mm. the wrestling term. And he didn't want to do that. And I respected his choice, and we went the way we went, which made sense because the project eternity kills you when you upload. We established that with scale. So there's it's, it didn't take any rewriting. It just worked perfectly. Right. But yeah, I would have done the easy winter soldier thing. And once again, Chris said too easy, too obvious. What a mind. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck, Chris? Yeah. So there are, yes, there was an idea for keeping cat alive. It was the obvious, uh, cowardly choice that I would have made. And, uh, it was vetoed by the player who made a strong choice and I loved it. Chris just continues to show us all up. Yeah, no, my self-esteem isn't in the gutter. Mm-hmm. Here's the Lauren question for you. Uh, Melody at Shadow Sleuth 26 on Twitter asks, how does Lauren keep getting so many girlfriends? Um, I'm charismatic. <laughs> I feel like. Also, to a certain degree, I think you seek them out because that's what you want your characters to be, you know? Yeah, I don't know. People tend to like me, apparently, and I don't know. Like, I'm not just talking about in the show in real life. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't understand it because I'm just a garbage human baby. I'm a little gay baby. I don't, don't understand. Worry, just, just wait until next season. I'm going to get all of the romantic partners. Yeah, it's going to be a girlfriend contest. Your good green boy at Iron Isaac on Twitter asks, how would paladins and clerics work in the world of forms? Um, a, exactly the same. And B, Find out next season. We have a paladin and a cleric. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll find out next week. Um, so that that was an easy question. Thank you. Uh, Aaron Rules 380 at Aaron Rules 380 on Twitter asks, how would Austin do? What would Austin do if one of the players had chosen a conduit he had chosen for an NPC? Oh. Um, so that happened. Actually, this is an, a very easy question to answer because um, knowledge as we discussed, is part of the theological framework of what I was working with. It corresponds to one of the crowns of Crown Corporation. Which lizard was it? Which lizard was it? Oh, Skell. No. Was it a Skell? No, okay. Skell was wisdom. That was the, mm. if you recall, the password on his door. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's another thing. Someone actually 
uh, figured this out during the season. I'm sorry, I don't have the tweet pulled up. Someone tweeted at me that they figured out the pattern of the passwords for all the keypads throughout the entire season. It was what their mm-hmm. conduits. It was what their conduits were because they're the ten Sephira. But yes, uh, right. Okay, now because right because we talked about like knowledge being kind of at the center of that whole. This is where I have to explain. Like in there's two there's multiple different ways to. I don't want to have to talk about all this. Um, so there are always 10 Sephira, but which 10 depends. Some people uh, substitute Keter for Da'at. Da'at is knowledge. Keter is crown. Also, by the way, that's where Crown Corporation comes from. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of that. Also, Valentine, I think. I don't know if anybody figured that out. I think I mentioned once on the on the forums. But yes. Um, so in the system I used for the 10 branches, I actually did not include knowledge. So knowledge wasn't one of the characters, but if you use the system which replaces knowledge with crown, it would have been Solomon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because his um, algorithm had knowledge of everybody in Valentine. It makes sense, right? As I was thinking it had to be him because, right, that was his whole shtick was he can predict everyone accurately because he knows everything about them and therefore has his knowledge extends to foreknowledge. Yes. As sort of like the logical conclusion of knowing everything. So, <laughs> so uh, unfucked femory moms. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate it when they're fucked. You have to, anyway, uh, at Gleb Mild on Twitter asks, I personally cheered on Katarina during her heel turn, which also connects to Garrick from season three, who I see as a black and white hero. How do you feel about this comparison? Despite Kat's selfish motivations, did the board get what they deserved? Um, I love asking the question, did someone get what they deserved? Because that is the question of season four. Who deserves to live? Who deserves to die? Who deserves to be rich? Who deserves to be poor? Mm-hmm. Who deserves power? Who do, you know? And that's the question. That's what Aaron was asking. And that's what you guys answered by giving it away. So that's mm-hmm. that's a deep ass question. Well, I mean, the board get what they deserve I, in, in some respects. I mean, I, I would personally say no, that they didn't get what they deserved. Not the ones who got <laughs> murdered. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of like, I mean, it's it's sort of like it, that's why I felt it was it, the big choice I kind of did in reaction to Chris was that whole change with Martis wanting to do what Cat wanted to do, but on different terms to, and by destroying the system, and so that was it, it, his standpoint was they don't deserve to have this sort of power and labor over anyone, but killing them outright doesn't fix the problem. I feel like some people might say that's hypocritical of us because we killed a lot of people. Yeah, the, you you said you don't think the people, the board's members who died, got what they deserved, but you killed one of them. So what are you what are you talking about, Lauren? <laughs> not, no, not the ones who are murdered by Katarina. No, no. I mean, I mean, I, I'll, I'll flat out say that Heller did not get what he deserved at all. Yeah, I mean, he did not deserve to. He did not deserve to die. It was, uh, it was more of a matter of he's a threat to Katarina. I'm going to try to protect her because she is, and then Ed got the last hit on him and killed him, and that was how that played out. And like, um, here's the thing: if we're all like, if we were IRL, like in a fight with our friends, it was like kill this like billionaire or let your friends die. Like, we as humans are we gonna let the bill? I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a the fucking trolley mm. shit. I, right. <laughs> it, it, it's it's sort of like it, it was definitely not something that. Uh, he wanted slash liked, but that's what happened. But I don't think it's internally consistent to be like they don't des- they didn't deserve, even though they did. 
they didn't deserve it. And that's if you asked in an isolated vacuum, does this deserve to happen to this character outside of the moment? The answers might be different to what happened because choices are complicated and messy and dice rolls add randomization and we just kind of roll with what happens, whether it's what we as players would necessarily think is the morally right thing or not. It's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Also to answer the question about comparing Katarina to Garrick, a antagonist from season three who went around killing people he thought were bad. Garrick mm-hmm. did believe that he was like you said, black and white. I don't know if I call him a hero, maybe an anti-hero, more of a punisher figure. Yeah. He was trying to be the punisher. Yeah. Katarina just killed people because they threatened her. And she was like, Oh, if, if this is the game, then fuck it. I'll win. Right. Yeah. I feel like Garrick is a much more sympathetic. Yeah. Like, I did kill Garrick, but I was playing a bad character. So. Yeah, Katarina's more developed and we like her more because we know more about her, but she's a pretty objectively worse person. <laughs> in hindsight, like, I apologized to a character in season three for Garrick's death because it's like, I get th- I get why certain people would look at him and go, you were the hero in what you did. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can still argue that you shouldn't kill people just because they're bad. Like, that's not, that's, that was part of that season's whole question, but. Right. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, we 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 talked we talked justice in that season. That was the justice season. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine at work asked if I knew about restorative justice. I'm like, I do, <laughs> I do. Hmm. Yeah. I'm also I I just went hard at Katarina. Let me say, as someone with the the abusive father background trait, that I don't actually think she's irredeemable. I think obviously there's a lot of uh, no complication and nuance there. And actually, I tried to bring that out with um, Richard and Algernon, their relationship too, to contrast, and also with Frank, who is a dad. So there was a lot. There's actually a lot of dad in this season. It's like almost a motif, the the fatherhood mm-hmm. and how it can be a corrupting or bolstering influence, good and bad, why you do it. Frank was selfish about why he wanted to help his kids and then he learned to be selfless and like that's a through line. It's very important. Mm-hmm. And Katarina could have gone either way. Chris said like the if, if people had been more supportive, if they had been more open, if they talked to her, she could have been a hero and they didn't. I, I, I still feel like Frank's attempt to push selfish dad motives onto Kat was like, yeah, that did not help with, with how Kat viewed the party, because, yeah, he was he was going about that for the wrong reasons, the wrong ways. The One, one of the things I also felt was kind of an interesting parallel was the difference between Ed and Reese with respect to how they coped with traumatic situations. Um, the big difference being that Ed was fortunate enough to be in a very supportive environment for a long period of time to deal with that stress and that other and be able to work past it. Whereas Reese just didn't, you know, her introduction to the whole thing was Graves just pulls her out, throws away her meds. It's like, you're coming with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Chris tries, Chris tends to play like self-destructive characters who actually need all the party to come together and be like, you know how that JRPG trope (laughs) where they're like, we all support you. We'll give you our energy. (laughs) It's the end of a persona game. The thing, the thing for Reese was obviously like the rest of the party chose to be there. Like even if they wanted to get out and couldn't, like they all started like, let's do a thing. And there was a certain degree of, well, it's partly my fault that I'm here. And that was never a thing that Reese had. Reese was like, no, I never asked for this. And I have the guilt. And yeah, that definitely didn't help. 
Here's a quick one. Lokobo at Lokobo4 on Twitter asks, what if Cat killed all the heads of Crown? Um, that was an absolutely foreseeable win condition. It was for all four of you guys to go, okay, let's go stop at the guillotine store and let's <laughs> set up a little guillotine station and then, you know, start doing doing the deed. Like the French Revolution this year. You absolutely could have. Mm-hmm. I, I think I joked with Lauren during one of the credits recording that I thought this was going to be the Les Miserables season because part of me thinks when you say, all right, this is a world and they have a tyrannical government, what do you do? D&D characters are like, yeah. let's go kill them. <laughs> like that's just a D&D reaction to the situation. But when you change kingdom and king to like, country and corporation the brain the i don't know what it is the 2018 brain don't know what to do with that i still thought we were going lame is season up until quite late like when we were doing the whole superhero thing and trying to get the people on our side i legitimately thought where the season was going to end was us like storming on the remaining heads of crown with the people singing like do you hear the people sing Mm -hmm. get the heck out of crown we're taking it over that definitely would have happened if Richard had escaped the basement. I figured you guys were going to have to kill him because if he had escaped, it would have been mm. blood in the streets. See, I had no plan to kill him. I was just going to beat him up a little bit. <laughs> you think you would have let that go? Yeah, like beat him up a little bit. And then what happens after that, right? <laughs> no, if, if, he le- if he left that basement, your friends would have been in danger. Yeah, and, and that's and like for me, this was like the me being selfish kind of angle where Ed being selfish was like, you know, he could not allow something to happen that would put uh, Cundy at risk. You know, the, the, the people that he had, he's lived with over the past several years, you know, his, he did not want to be a burden to anyone and he always, and he did not want to do anything but help. And so if it went to revolution, like full out revolution, that would have been, Oh shit, I got to do something now to help my quote unquote family of sorts and keep them safe. So that was definitely a rationale for the whole, let's do this in a subversive manner. Let's do this in a little bit of subterfuge and have the rug pulled out under Alistair via phone call dunking, you know? That was such a sweet dunk. That was Jordan-esque. <laughs> I, 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 I'm so thankful that you allowed that, that, that seed to pay off that way, which was great. Um, all right, so we're reaching the end of the questions on my Twitter feed here. I've been scrolling madly trying to find ones we haven't answered yet. Um, I found the one which was from Elon Musk is a bit toss. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> at Okami rules on Twitter, uh, which was why wasn't Alistair a Gaviel? So that's the credit for that good question. I fucked up. I'm st- I'm still in a mourning period. Please respect my privacy in this trying time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, does anybody else have any questions for each other or any highlights you guys want to roll out as we exit this call and let Laura go to bed? I don't know. I just appreciate. Yeah, this is as ever just a really hecking interesting show to do that. Like it's one of the most satisfying bits of work I get to work on. Like I'm constantly really proud of how Dice Funk turns out as a thing. Uh, big huge thanks to Skitch because you have been an amazing part of this show the last couple of seasons I've been on and it's gonna be weird doing a season without you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We came on together and it's like gonna be weird. Who's who's gonna who's gonna play Modest next season? <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna explain all the rules yeah, to us? Well actually, yeah, it's it's gonna be Skitch. Skitch has already agreed to help with my cheat sheet for next season, because I don't know the fucking rules to this game. The amount of work I've done 
for stuff for this show, I think, is easily... I mean, it's, it's second to Austin because he does the editing, but the amount of stuff that I've been that I've put myself into for this is hard to uh hard to cleanly state if only because it's just like I do so a, a lot of research on various things for the characters I I took on the mantle of doing the YouTube videos which as we're recording this I'm already working on other videos for the channel in terms of getting other seasons uploaded Sketch is like constantly available for when we are like, oh, we need help. Do with a, a sketch help fix thing, please. Getting back in later on is going to be something I'm definitely interested in. Um, and you know, just, yeah. that's why I get for this why I get for caring too damn much about playing D and D. But uh, like, other than that, like my my only thoughts about the season I want to share was like this. I I kind of said this earlier in this uh, questions episode. This was a... I, I deliberately, like, pushed myself to do a very different character this season to uh, Veltarian Season 3. Definitely found Frank a more difficult character to play. I found I found him a more difficult character to get that arc and that sort of balance between the comedy and the serious was a bit more difficult. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing something a bit sillier next time where I have less, like, here is the sad at the start of the story for my character but yeah it's been it's been a wild ride thank you everyone on this call and everyone who listened for just like letting this be a story i got to be a part of telling it's it's been it's been great yeah and i know like my arc isn't like the most grandiose but uh i really appreciate the people who i've seen like say that they appreciate what i've done because it is very close to my heart even if it's not exciting, it's been kind of weird to, like, hash out. Uh, Lenora is the character this season that I would most, like, legitimately want to be IRL best friends with. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, Lenora is genuinely um, a big chunk of... She's, like, a worse, like, if I was uh, a shittier person, believe it or not. I already think you're a cool a cool friend, so I'm just like, yeah, I'll hang out with you slash you cats. You, I will hang out with your fursona, Lauren. Right. <laughs> OC, do not steal. <laughs> and thanks to Austin for putting up my bullshit. <laughs> yeah, thanks for everybody who makes this show possible. We literally couldn't do it without you. Everyone says that, but like, we act, it's literally. just... Literally. Yeah, it's 100% true. More importantly, Chris couldn't do it without you. <laughs> I think that's what we've learned today. Yeah. Is that we require your support to keep him going. He is a, our precious resource. Big thanks to like all the people who comment on episodes and discuss them. Big thanks to all the fan art people, which like... Yes. I've never been involved in a show that has had such a like awesome fan art community as this like thank you yeah i have my fan art folder pulled up right now it has 222 items from this season i probably missed a bunch those are just the ones i see on twitter um so i'm just gonna shout off the names i see here abyss one two three adam sane cerulean chase jones cosmignon and then i have to scroll down because there's a lot of cosmignon hold on doopy 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 doop <laughs> uh dog plant um Trigenda, uh edmund mk uh, Eline. Then we gotta go through my icons on the roll twenty. Jessica Sims, uh, Jade, uh, Okie Dokai, uh, Kerstein, uh, Owlor, um, 
Scott Saxton, Sea Questions, Squid Cap, Tempest, Syretha. Um, but, 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 sorry if I missed you. That's what I have in my folder. I, I'm extremely unorgani- unorganized, so I probably fucked up. I have all the fan art I have seen this season in a folder, and when I have bad days, I sometimes just look at that folder and go, oh heck, that's amazing. It's extremely amazing, and it keeps us going. Uh... Season four character polls. Did we say who won those those polls? Oh God, we started this as a joke between me and Leon because in the first season it was just me, Leon, and Jess. There was only three player characters, and it was just a fun way for him to dunk on me. And now it's like a fixture, and everyone gets their feelings hurt. Oh, also, uh, Sludge Eater does art for the show. Amazing. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it looks like Ash and Algernon tied the favorite NPC full. Poll on the forums, and it looks like Ed Mardis won the player character on the forums. Y'all don't like me. You really don't like me. <laughs> or it's okay. You're my no, favorite. It's, it's okay. I know. I just wanted to make a six Sally Field reference. Was that you said? Is it? I should have tried. Y'all welcome. I should have cared. Is that it? Oh, is that what I said? I should have. I should have cared. I should have, I should have cared more. Yeah. All right, so I, th- yeah. I think that's us for the season. We're going to be back next week, so there's not going to be any, any interruption in the service. If you have more questions, we're probably on the Discord. Link in the description. We're on Twitter, all that. Tweet tweet me. Yep, all that's in the credits as well. We put all our Twitters. We can just say it now. Uh, at Roar Galicious, at, at, at Austin Yorsky, at Laura <laughs> K. Buzz, at, is it just Sketch? What are you at, Sketch? Sketch Music is what I'm Sketch at. Music. I followed you for so long, I don't even remember anymore. And, of course, <laughs> Rolo T is Chris Larios. So, that's us. That's the show. Thank you, everybody. We had an amazing season. Next season's going to be even better. Because we keep getting better at it. Because we keep doing it. That's how practice works. Yeah. Get ready to hear an awful lot of this voice. It's going to be an interesting season for me. <laughs> Lauren, you want to give your 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 voice the first shot? I still haven't. Like, I'm still struggling. I don't know. What do owls sound like? Who, who is going to give you help setting a voice? Maybe I'll just scream into the microphone for the voice. Just do this the whole time. I really like talking about Mothman. I love cryptids. He's my husband. Bye. You got any uh, credits? I do have credits, Lauren. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I have all the credits that you could possibly want for September 2018. Would you like to hear them? Uh, We do music first.
there's actually a lot of music because we're crediting both the end of last season and the beginning of the new season all at once. So we have New Jack Mantle, an arrangement of The Mantle from Nights into Dreams uh, by Overclocked Remix. We have Linear Groove, an arrangement of A-Type and B-Type from Tetris, also by Overclocked Remix. We have Your Reality, Future Bass Remix from Doki Doki Literature Club by The Musical Ghost. We have Morning Thinker, an arrangement of Thinker from Armored Core 4 by Overclocked Remix. And The Sound of the Galaxy, an arrangement of Freedom's Progress from Mass Effect by Overclocked Remix. Wow, I'm impressed. You have heard a music. I have heard a single music. <laughs> Just one music. How was it? Musical. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want to uh, read the executive producers for September? Damn, I wanted to say the executive producers. Well, you didn't say it. The executive producers for September are... Joseph Tombrello. Extellaris. Random web person. Griffin McElroy. I don't think so. <laughs> no, probably not. It's a good joke, though. Thank Do you. Do you think we did it, boys? I don't think so. Uh, Jesse Young. Devin Smith. Brent, the best lover I've never had. Goatly. The Cult of Gorfinax. Savard Nakasimova. Paul Mullen. Toshikuro. Oh, gosh. My, my mouth did a thing. Mm-hmm. Toshiro Kuro, editor of Attack on Dice. Brendan Williams. <gasps> Possum Kingdom Refugee, take me to the Possum Kingdom. <laughs> Dr. Goatman. Andrew Grothen. Levy, the young conduit of not mad, just disappointed. I feel like that's you. Aw. Francois V. Kevin Dobbins. Robert Dakin. Anthony Sauvier. Morgan Rapp. Meow Mazelle. That's, that's like a good. French cat. Meow Mazelle. Meow Mazelle. Yeah. Matthew Schultz. Melody the Gay Shark. Same. That's just a dice fun character. character. Right. Ian uh, Morgan. Rain, conduit of wetness herself. Uh-oh. Emo Git. Eventual Eden. Fubar. Brittany and Jermaine Walls. Ashley. No, just Ashley. Dirge Novak. Sam Stanowitz. S. Kearney. John Carey. <laughs> the former presidential candidate John Kerry. Uh Joseph Yeah. I just I just realized. What? I forgot he existed. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Joseph Mavero, the unsexy arrow. That was That's fun a to great say. rhyme. Yeah, that was that was a blast, thank you. Drew James. Michael Merdes. 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 Ebron, the boy that lived. Exos. Oh fight. A fight? Oh, you want to fight? I feel uh, like that is etymologically linked to snakes somehow. Anyway. Oh. Transient passerby. Bye. Ink drop the chondra. Hashtag respect if you know what a chondra is. I don't know respect for me. Oh, maybe next time. Yeah. Press F to pay respects. Ah! Conduit of Q jumping itself. Oh, I'm so happy I get to read this one. Uh, Justin Berthiesel, conduit of oh itself <laughs> ross vita stay tuned for a wedding Ooh, some people are just gonna start announcing like engagements and like childbirths in our credits oh my gosh that's, that's a lot of uh responsibility yeah bloody roar needs pangolins it does saritha conduit of puns julian phillips Lindsay pankhurst jeff clark lauren cates counter fifth jack claw Richard G. Coles. Kiefer Lowe. E. Corin. Last Cruise. 
Dr. Tao. Sean Linesberg. <laughs> Big Tube Boy, conduit of getting dunked on. You. <laughs> Oops. Matthias Leckitz. Janiac, form of candy flipping in a bouncy castle and giggling like a, and then it cuts off. They That's were, pretty good. Flew too, too close to the sun on that one. <laughs> Harley Astor. Primordial Orc. Andrew Fallu, conduit of me- mediocrity itself, as always. Same. Puck. Uh, f- 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 butcher my name, <laughs> Nicolopolis. <laughs> okay. I'll leave the audience to decide how that was spelled. <laughs> Dice Funk Season 5, Funkzilla's Revenge. Oh, they've spoiled it now. Uh, Joaquin Gronig. Jerry, conduit of shipping, and apparently that also makes me a god. Uh-oh! Don't tell Lauren! Uh, Jasper Singh. John Barnett. Cucumber. Hustlebones. Killer Cotton Shizno. Nicholas Dominic. Isaac Aravalo. Yam! Anna Michael. Andrew Birmingham. Douglas Williamson. The Most Wise Guru. Z, 2361.9. Quench the Void. Vizzy, Huggles, Conduit of the Same River Twice. J. Logan, Conduit of Queerness Itself. The Cast of Dungeons the Gathering. Notorious Stoltz. Victoria Melito. Scotty Vilhard. Aline. Mazjin. Criterion. Einar Johansson. Carter Rayner. Major Tam. Matthew B. Hare. Jorgen, conduit of name butchering Winewick Ford. I read a Zondra Light novel in TF <laughs> into a patron. Transformed, I believe. Transformed. Okay. <laughs> they, tra- they, they got it in another word count, so. They did. I'm impressed, but confused. It's a reference to the way light novel titles are written. Oh, okay. Sure. Razumi Yazura. Albert West. Ken Fursell. Eleanor Nonante sees Periton. Scott Cummings. Starlight Glimmer did nothing wrong. Juman Jack. Meltish. Arjun de Koning. Grimlock. John Potts. Noah Sudret. Ziphosaurus. Elderly Goose. Salad Child. Seraph Stone. Caster UK. Elderly Goose. <laughs> she just no, went no. Back. <laughs> I, I got lost and I got really excited about the goose. <laughs> Just jump back five to yell <laughs> at a goose. Just about a goose. Oh, God. Okay, so I'm at Aki Savalainen. Uh-huh, the paladin's wife. Florian H. Charm Wilkie, conduit of introversion itself. Is that you? Sometimes. Junk 2.0. The Hadsels. Melissa Nielsen. Dawn. Reynard, the conduit of being stoned. I will fight you on that one, Reynard. <laughs> Brit Holcomb. Alright, Miss BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Bristol. Shyness. Dennis Pancake Detlifson. Miko from Finland. Dennis Bankson. Bankston. <laughs> Josh Mosier. And Diego Vandane. Allison the Purple. Sydney Marsing. Just a jester. Brady Warner. Kitty Foe. James Neely. Marissa Donaldson. M. Joe. Lana Seawolf. Toby Gleason Stack. Matthew Weber, how do you change your name to make it a joke? <laughs> Somebody tell him. <laughs> he did it, though. Oh, I guess so. That's a good joke. <laughs> Cameron Abbott's. <laughs> All right, Dylan. Anna. Sean, the host of Funk Dunk Plays. Harrison Andrew. Christopher Charlow. Vega Arnston. Cody Jackson. August Rue. The Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Marietta, Georgia. Luke Powers. <laughs> 
I'm just imagining a whole ch- church listening to this and then they're bursting out in applause. <laughs> uh, Hedron Master. Erwan Lilagadek. Michael Hall. Ingemar Grimon. We did it. You can say that. Well, technically, sounds came out of our mouths. Yes, we did make sounds. Uh Uh-huh. I love to make a sound. They're very good. I can't believe we just finished the season, and now we're on a whole new season. It never stops. Life just comes at you. You know what they say? Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. (laughs) They say the days start coming, and they don't stop coming. And I gotta tell you, it's very accurate. Oh, gosh. How fucking dope would it be, though, if Griffin McElroy was actually, like... You want to rematch, Griffin? I beat you in Bloodborne, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he is listening now. No, he's going to be mad at me. Uh, People on our show. Mm, Yeah, Twitters and stuff. We have people, and then you got to follow their stuff. I'm Margalicious. I'm garbage. Sorry. Um, I mean, I'm at patreon.com slash austinyorski if you want to support me. Chris is at patreon.com slash recap. Laura is at kotaku.co.uk. Also, Laura K. Buzz everywhere. Chris is Rolo T on Twitter. Are you even listening? Are you writing this down? You have to take notes. Why am I even saying this? Yeah, what he said. Conrad, Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, everywhere. Follow stuff. God. Sketch.bandcamp.sketch.com. Sketch.bandcamp.sketch.bandcamp. Dot com. Dot bandcamp. Slash. Bandcamp. Sketch. Slash sketch. <laughs> He's gonna murder us. <laughs> there needs to be a super cut of every time we've tried to say that URL on the various credits. Right. Um, thanks to all the animals. Apparently there's some new cats joining the background. <gasps> Conrad's cats. We'll have to get him to talk talk about his cats on air sometime. We'll have to trip trick him into talking about his cats. Uh Zelda's asleep very high up. Anna's probably foraging in the garbage. Smudge is uh Laura's cat, probably being really good because She's not a gorblin. Uh, Scotia, uh, Chris's dog. She borks sometimes. Uh, there's a dog that lives across the street from Austin. That's a good dog. Dotskitch.com. Dotskitch.bandcamp. Slash camp. Slash band. <laughs> Dot band. <laughs> Dot slash sketch. Slash sketch. Dot com. Slash music. <laughs> I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space. Okay, well, um, welcome, welcome aboard, Dreg. Um, I'll show you around. Uh, we've got the uh, kitchen over there. It's good and well stocked. You're not going to be uh, struggling for things to find in there. Uh, we've got the uh, library. Uh, don't mess with our books. She's really, uh, really not a fan of that. Uh, yes. Any, uh, any questions before I leave you to it? Can we do something about the doors? What's the problem with the doors? They're about two feet short. Um, I don't know if we can make them bigger, but I'll certainly see what we can do about it. I'll, I'll, I'll see if we can maybe lower the floor so that the effective height of the door is, is higher. We'll see if that's possible. It doesn't look like much. You can pay me. Oh, yeah, we'll certainly pay you. Don't worry about that. As long as you can get the job done, we're uh, right as rain, I think. Mm. 